Lace up your boots and grab your mouth guards. It's time for the Rugby Wrap, the podcast about all things Western Force and the game we love. Well, hello and welcome to the Rugby Wrap. Great to have you with us as we take a look at the week that was and what a week. Grand finals, test matches, controversy, certainly plenty to get through, which is why it's always great to have Wallaby number 735, Mitch Hardy on board. Mitch, good to see you. Good to see you, Mickey. There was not enough hours in the weekend to be able to watch all that rugby that was on. I did my best. Nuts. But, geez, what a plethora of controversy, close games, close calls and historic moments. Uh, Very, very great weekend of rugby, mate. Plenty to talk about. And Palmara's good luck charm, former Western Force hooker Heath Tesman. (laughs) Good to see you. (laughs) He's good luck, mate. They're creating their own luck down there, uh, south of the river. So, (laughs) yeah. Every, Every time you turn up, mate, they just turn it on. So, I've done what it is. Oh, you've just jinxed just some, them, Mick. You've just, just something in the water. Yeah. You've just given you've just given them the mocker for the big GF on their home home turf. Oh, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Well, as I said, plenty to get through, but I want to start with a social media post that was shared by the majority of the Wallaroos players last week. Now, for those of you who haven't seen it, it was basically an open letter to Rugby Australia calling out its approach to elite women's rugby. Now, the, they point to a lack of funding for their 15 setup and to an inequity when compared to the Wallabies. Now, I'll just quickly read it out. So it says, you told us flying anything beyond economy was too costly. Then you flew the Wallabies business class on a trip shorter than ours. You told us full-time contracts were in the pipeline, that there wasn't enough money to keep the men in the game, let alone us. Then you paid $5 million for an NRL player. You said our program would go professional and our coach would be full-time. How many coaches has Eddie taken to the World Cup? You continually say we don't have enough resources and yet we all saw the World Cup send-off for the Wallabies. We've seen the impact the women's sport has had on the Australian sporting landscape, thanks to the Matildas. It's time for the chairman, board and CEO to prioritise the future of Australian women's rugby and allocate adequate resources. It's time to acknowledge that we are not promoted equally, even on a free platform. The future of our game hangs in the balance. It's your move, Rugby Australia. Now, one of the players who posted that letter is Wallaroo number 168, Michaela Leonard, and she joins us now. Michaela, nice to have you back on the Rugby Wrap. Good to be back, guys. Thanks for asking me again. Now, how did that letter come about? Yeah, so I think probably something that had been, I guess, a feeling that a lot of the squad had had deep inside for some time now. And the events over the last couple of weeks was, I guess, just that catalyst for a call, a call to action and probably that tipping point or this, the hair that broke the camel's back, as they sort of say, um, over the last couple of weeks with some social media posts that kind of came out on Wall- Wallaby's posts as the boys were heading off to a World Cup. Um, but I think really what, what it was was it was a whole lot of emotion, a whole lot of passion, um, and I guess a group of girls really just wanting to be given the chance to be the best athletes that they can um, and to try and, I guess, put our hands up and sort of say, look, the time's now and the time's now to change and the time's now to actually put an effort in and and retain the talent that we have and really push forward over these next couple of years, particularly leading into the World Cup in 2025 and then the World Cup in Australia, um, the following following World Cup. So I think, yeah, it was all probably prompted over a couple of events over the last couple of weeks, but I think something that deep down a lot of us have hoped that would, would change or would happen for a while now. And the majority of the Wallaroos um, posted it. Was there was there pressure to post it, or was it everyone just you know if you wanted to you could? No, definitely not. Um, it was it was you wanted to. Um, no pressure either way. We're part of a team. We're family. We're a squad. Um, but I think in in being that we all go through the same sacrifices. We all go through the same hard work. The same training progress uh, program. Sorry. So most of the squad was sort of on the same page and feeling the same way and. And we all we all want to perform better than what we have on our last series and our last sort of tournaments. And we want to be winning games and playing at a standard that we want and putting out a performance and a display of talent that we want people to see and we want people to buy tickets for. So I think everyone was sort of on the same page of of wanting those changes and wanting the opportunity to become better athletes and better players. So it was pretty unanimous across the board um, from my understanding, but definitely no pressures for anyone to do anything. Because we, we've been talking about the funding and the structure for the women's game for the past couple of years, and we've always done that as outsiders. So two sentences in that letter that really struck me about how much you must feel um, was where you said, 
you told us full-time contracts were in the pipeline, but there wasn't enough money. Then you paid $5 million for an NRL player. And then the one where you said, you, you said our coach will be full-time, but how many coaches has Eddie taken to the World Cup? How hard has it been to watch Rugby Australia spending so much on the Wallabies, but then tell you they don't have any money? Look, it is it is difficult, um, if I'm being entirely honest. And I think it's, it's I, I see it from two sides. Um, I see it as a player and... Um, a squad member and a teammate and a woman who's coming through an industry or a sporting code that's probably not been, I guess, as strong in the women's space for as long as what it has in the men's space. But I also understand it from a business perspective. So I understand um, the comments and the responses and and when people say that there is no money in the business or um, you have to look at the revenue that one team brings in versus the other and they've got to spend accordingly based on who's going to make the money. But I think um, it is frustrating seeing those things when a few small tweaks and a few small changes or investments here and there um, may run at a loss initially, but I think they'll pay out in fruition in the long run. Um, and and that women's game, it's gonna it's growing exponentially, and the only way that it can go is up, really. So I think it's more that frustration that those small spendings to have a full-time coach um, in the program who can, I guess, nourish the program and nourish the players and develop plans and structures without having to juggle work-life balance um, as all the athletes in the program do as well. Plus, I guess that little bit, if you can change the way the contracting system has worked so that women aren't getting home from their 9 to 5 at 6 p.m., training, coming home, getting home at 10 p.m., waking up at 5 again to do the next day. I think all those little things is going to build a product that can make money. And I think that's sort of the question at the moment or the, I guess the where we're sort of frustrated at the moment in that we know that we can and the Matildas have shown us that this nation loves sport and it's willing mm. to get behind our teams, whether they be men's or women's. They want someone to to stand behind and cheer for and and they want someone, they want to see success and they want to see our nation doing well. And I think it's coming from a place where I know that we can succeed and we can do well as a group as well. But at the moment, it's it's almost feels like we're... Um, we're fighting an uphill battle uh, without the resources to help us to succeed. So so in terms of, of what the Wallaroos want, so you, you'd like the full-time coach, and then in terms of, of the payments, like do you, do you want to be professional or are you still happy to not not be, you know, not be paid your 200 grand a year, whatever it might be, which would be lovely down, down be the nice. track, which would be nice <laughs> down the track. But, but sort of at, at the moment, say for next year, what what's your ideal for next year? Yeah, so obviously um, we had some really productive chats with RA last week and we're really excited that they're sort of, um, that they've come on board and they're hearing hearing us out. Um, looking at it, I guess, next year, we know things that don't happen overnight and, and there's no expectation of anyone in the squad or um, anyone who, who had those feelings that was behind the, the social media posts last week of expecting to be on full-time 200K contracts next year. Um, we're all pretty realistic in that and we, mm-hmm. we do understand that the money needs to come in to be able to support that and the sponsorship needs to be out there to be able to support that and the product needs to be good enough to warrant it as well. Um, but what we want to see is, I guess, those little those little changes and those little plans. So having your full-time coaching staff, having your full-time strength and conditioning, full-time physio, at least that way you've got a structure around that can support players, it can support training, it can support, I guess, the development and planning of camps. Um, I get the ability for women to actually be able to um, live a sustainable life off the income. It doesn't have to be high rolling or high spending, but if you can, I guess, have that balance of taking 15 weeks off work and not having mm-hmm. to be stressing about who's paying the bills or who's feeding the kids back home, um, or even even if you have the capacity to then say to your employer, look, I'm sorry, I can't work full-time anymore because my demands are too high, but I'll work the, I'll work the casual shift. You know what I mean? Just actually mm-hmm. being able to have that balance where – you're not letting family or you're not letting employers down to have to take that much leave. You're not in that financial sort of struggle. Um, but I think bigger picture wise, it's more, it's, it's what I think what a lot of, a lot of us are really hoping for is just that understanding of what is in the planning and what is in the works and how can we use the next, I guess, two years leading into the 2025 world cup. And then, into the 2029 World Cup, how can we get ourselves in a position where we're coming against up, up against tier one teams and we're winning and we're competing mm. and we're we're out there and we're convincing in what we're doing and we're entertaining and we're talented and we have that because we've had the consistent training and we've had the consistent coaching and we've had 
the additional input from skills coaches, specialist coaches to help us get there. Um, so in terms of next year, really, I think it, it's hard to say. I think if we can see a retention of the talent within the in the rugby union code, um, if we can see some consistency, and we've seen that this year with the introduction of the Championship 15, World 15 at the end of the year, uh, which will carry on to next year. But if we continue to have that opportunity to play high-level rugby between now and 2029, I think it'd be great to see expansion to Super W so that we're playing, I guess, again, more consistent, high-quality rugby between international and domestic competition. Um, yeah, more support staff. Um, I think all of those sorts of things would be great. Because has Rugby Australia given you any sort of indication of a, of a timeline? They've obviously said, yep, we think all that's great, but have they... Is it going to happen? Yeah, so look, we're really hopeful. As I said, we had some productive conversations last week. Um, There's still a little bit to go in terms of, I guess, negotiation and just actually the fine-tuning and obviously a lot of it's pending um, sponsorship and and those sorts of things moving forward as well. So there is still some conversation to go, but the chats we've had with Rugby Australia so far and and have been really positive Um, and we're we're really we're really glad that sort of we're able to now have this sort of open stream of communication. So nothing I I can't really share anything with you guys now in terms of what the future looks like definitively because I'm not sure myself at this stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the fact that those channels are now open and those conversations are being had, hopefully over the next I guess so few weeks to months, um, things will take a really positive turn, a really positive step. And because you talk about retention, there was a, an article in the in Saturday's paper by Jamie um, Pandaram and Pamela Whiteley, headlined "Leagues Grass Is Greener," talking about mm-hmm. a mass exodus of players going to NRLW a year out from that Women's Rugby World Cup in 2025. Was that just you know media hype, or is that or are women seriously considering jumping ship and going to NRLW? Yeah, look, I can only um I can only speak for myself really, and I know that. Uh, for me, um, my passion probably lies in in rugby. I think being a second rower, um, want to be back row at club club level, but being a second rower predominantly set pieces is, is why I play and it's what I love and it's what I love showing up for. And I think you lose that element in rugby league. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, rugby league's doing incredibly well over the last few years with their growth and the opportunity and possibilities for girls and athletes to um, experience that professionalism in a different code as well. Um, but in terms of the wider squad, to be honest, I'm not sure. There's obviously been a few girls that have left and a few girls that are, I guess, mainstays in the in the league community and now that have a rugby union backing or have come from mm-hmm. rugby union um, and are doing phenomenally well over in that space as well. Um, but I think for us, the hope is that we can, we, we do have a bigger picture coming up of where we're building to and where we're going. And hopefully that will be enough to retain the talent that we do have in our code as well. Um, because obviously we, we've got some phenomenal athletes as well and people that we'd hate to see uh, jump ship and go across mm. the league. Because Millie Boyle, the former Wallaroo, she's now playing league, she was quoted in that article as saying, mm. I don't know how there are so many girls still playing rugby union. They're so committed and they get nothing in return. And then the kicker, we'll take all your girls and the NRL <laughs> will be happy to pay them. So how, how do you feel hearing that from one of your own? Yeah, it's tough. Um I mean, I mean, it's tough. I had an opportunity to play with Millie back in 2019 and she was a great union player and she's a great league player. Um, and so it's, it is hard to see, I guess, someone have have transitioned across and I guess look back, I guess, on maybe not negatively at their time on rugby union, but to not see the positives that it can bring as well. Um, I think it's also, it makes you, it does make you wonder like how much better or how much different can it be or how... Mm how much more growth can there be in such a short time that the league's been around? Um, but then at the same time, it's, yeah, yeah, you're just really happy for them. Like I'm really good friends with Grace Camp as well back back in Canberra and seeing her transition across to Raiders and getting to watch her play at, at home, home stadium and just see how much she's enjoying it. I don't think there's as much of a, it's not as much of a feeling of a, I want to be there, I wish I was doing that or, I'm, you know what I mean? Like there's a mm. negative between them. It's just... You're happy to see your mates doing what they love in a similar environment, putting in the hard work, getting the enjoyment from it, making friends, um, and just thriving really. So, I mean, it's in one side, it's it's sad to see that we've lost players like Millie and Grace and all of those girls, and um, it's sad to think that they're well, they're they're talking that they prefer the environment so much more over at league. But at the end of the day, I like I'm 
I'm stoked for them and I'm glad that they found a place that they're loving their footy, whether whether it's union or league, that they're loving what they're doing, they're getting supported well, they're getting treated well. Um, and, look, I think I think we'll get there too. Um, and in all saying that, my experiences so far playing rugby has been great. I wouldn't change it. We wouldn't be doing it if we if we didn't enjoy it and if we weren't having fun. So don't at all think that playing rugby and being part of the Wallaroos is an incredible experience, an incredible sort of life opportunity. Like love every day, love every minute, grateful that I'm there. But what we want to see is just how much better we can be mm. and I guess how much growth and how much um, – how much just better of athletes and performers we can be with that little bit more support and funding behind us. And someone else who always wanted to get in the back row is Heath Tessman. So, <laughs> Tess, it's it's from what Michaela was saying. I was the same. I got to live at a club land as well. <laughs> you, you, you're talking about that you've, you've got to invest. You've almost got to spend the money to to make the money. So they've they've got to bite the bullet and invest in this program. So the women, they do, they start playing better. They start winning these games. Then you get that Matilda kind of support. Is that is that what you see, Tess? They've got to, they've just got to, they can't afford not well, to put money into the program? And that's it. And that's it. It's about afford, they can't afford not to. And it's, you know, it's how they, how they start to do it and how they look to do it incrementally then as well, I think is the best plan for it. Like, obviously, they're not going to be able to completely... Uh, you know, do a complete overhaul, I think, of the program instantaneously, but it's it's managing it through stages so that it is manageable. And then you start to see some of the return as they keep adding adding layers to the program. So I think it is like that touched on just having full-time staff. That's that's a huge thing. Even if it's just a coach, like a single coach in SNC then who can be managing and running programs for around the country. And then as we start to see the results from that, then we start adding more and more to it. But I think it just... It's you know we start on that scale and then we we build it up so it is something that by the time the the next World Cup comes around and I hope we're not like I'm using that as a a far off a goal but I hope it's well and truly before then but it's it's at that same level at that big high professional level so that we are competing and we are able to compete with all those top tier countries around the world and and Mitch with the the new centralisation program do you think that'll make it easier for um, Rugby Australia to have those sorts of things that Tess was talking about to filter down through to the women's program? Well, it will. <clears throat> it will from a contracting and sort of man management, women management side of things. Um, so centralised coaching, um, centralised sports specialist services and wraparound services would, would certainly be helpful. But there's a whole things at play here, Mickey. Like we've said for a while that the lack of planning and that long-term planning is a real issue. Um, for women's rugby at the moment and that clarity of plan. So if you're looking to attract players to the game and and create that visible pathway, then you've got to have that visibility of what it looks like. And we've got a 2025 World Cup coming up. Mm. We've got the Tier 1 uh, Women's 15s, which has now been launched, which is really exciting because that, that then provides that visible international experience. And you can always text back Millie Boyle and then say, when you're playing overseas in another country, Michaela, you say, Millie, I'm here. I'm playing rugby here. Where are you? You're playing in Brizzy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, where would you rather be? So, you know, like it is a, it is an international game and you can't underplay the international exposure, international experience that you get from playing rugby um, at international level. Like NRL will only offer you so much. Yes, it's not that nice to have the pay packet, but it's a lot nicer wearing a gold jersey, let me tell you. So mm. I think, um, I think that attraction and just building building that program and building the aspiration of of young girls as they come into the game is what it's got to be all about. Like we've had awesome success with the sevens team, and they need to capitalise on that. But there's no reason at all why there can't be a joint sort of program that they plan out and support and manage all the way through, so that we're both a top country in sevens and a top country in fifteens when it comes to um, women's rugby. There is no reason why they can't do it. There's enough quality athletes out there. Hmm. It's just a matter of making sure that we've got good plans in place and we've got good people in the system as well that foster it. And one of my questions, Makata, for you is is who, who's who's the voice of women's rugby at the moment? Where's the voice at the board table? Where's the voice at Rupa? And where's the voice inside Rugby Australia that's, that's being your sort of champions for the cause, I suppose, so to speak? 
Yeah, so there is um the oh goodness me, you're gonna test my memory here. So last week, sorry, RA appointed or announced the appointment of um high performance Fernandez. manager, yep. Fernandez, yep. yeah. High performance manager um to oversee, I guess, the way things are moving forward, which will hopefully be a little bit more clarity. I hopefully we'll get to meet him in the coming weeks over camp. But I guess that bit more clarity of who who our person is to turn to and have those questions for about programming and and moving forward um outside of that we have a women's advisory board in ra as well um yep. please don't ask me the names of everyone that's on it because i'll probably forget <laughs> no, someone right. and, offend them. and what's, but, what's um, rupert doing is rupert is rupert throwing their weight around or are they sitting quietly in the corner yeah no so rupert we have um rupert support as well i think we're still yep. sitting as um non-paying members at the moment, but we have Rupert support, um, I guess, for questions and people that need to get in contact with them and to ha- help with questions around contracting and things like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. To be honest, well, I personally, think, yeah. I haven't jumped in and used those services a whole lot myself, um, yeah. but they they are open to us as well as a group. Yeah, but I think they need to have a more proactive role there rather than, rather than wait for people to come to them for help. It, they should be being proactive and getting right behind a way forward to develop the game as well. It's not just about the contracting and the money side of things when it comes yeah. to Rupert. It's about it's about the health of the game and making sure the players have got someone in their corner speaking on their behalf and lobbying on their behalf and advocating for them. And we do. And through Super W, there is uh, representatives from each state that meet up with Rupert and, I guess, discuss these things throughout the Super W season. To be yeah. honest, outside of season, I'm not sure how frequently those meetings continue on because I guess, you know, I'm not around the squads and the girls as often. Um, But we do, yeah, there is that communication network. I know definitely in through Super W and we have Emily Chancer as our Rupert rep at the moment. So she'll meet with um, Justin Harrison and things quite regularly to chat through stuff as well. Um, So I think, yeah, those pathways are definitely in in place. I think it's just probably one that the wider group and myself included really without having had personal chats myself, um, yeah, probably could do with that little bit more awareness of the processes and the systems and the people to touch base with. Yeah, and we need we need our heroes as well. We need we need those, you know, like the Matildas had Sam Kerr and and all the mm. all the great things that were happening around the FIFA World Cup. We need to start to have our heroes or heroines, I should say, heroines around rugby that you know young girls aspire to be and mm. want to mm. go watch with their where their mums and dads and siblings. We need we need that, and we need to have. Not midweek test matches no. like for, for women's rugby. Yeah. It needs to be front and centre, and it needs to be publicised and accessible. And we need to make a big deal about it. Like, there's no point in 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 putting women's rugby in the corner. Mm. Like, yeah, because it's, it's not going to work. Because McKenna also on an article, Grace um, Hamilton was saying that it was one tour you went on, and you didn't even have a a media person to actually say what was going on. Nothing was being posted for results or. Or anything. So, I mean, that's a. It just seems like such a simple thing that surely, as part of a national team, they would put that sort of resource to actually promote the game. Yeah, I'm not sure what tour that was, or which I, whether I was there for that one or not. Um, I don't think I read that article to be honest. But I think yeah, something that's something that's what we definitely want to see is that little bit more of a media presence and outreach, and I guess ways that we can get people into open training sessions, get more than a few thousand people at seats. Um, mm. The game out at Redcliffe earlier this year, I think, was our biggest attendance, which was which was great to see. But if we can make those steps to get it out where people are hearing it and seeing it and, and wanting to be involved and, and know the players, as you said, and have a favourite player that they want to get a photo with after the game and all of those sorts of things, um, I think it would be incredible. And I think that's just the, probably one of the first and easiest steps that we can make in into, I guess, trying to get more people interested in the game to create mm. that that following and that revenue that we need to then move forward even further. Um, mm. yeah. So I think, yeah, massive one for sure. And, and social media has a huge reach these days. So definitely if we can start getting more things put out there and, and put on platforms where more than, I guess, the people who are already following the Wallery yeah. spaces are seeing, um, that's how we're going to try and make some changes. And I think, yeah make the team more personable and relatable and, and something that people want to be a part of. Mm. And then where are things at with Super W for next year? Yeah, I believe um, plans for next year, I think, are quite similar to this year. So similar okay. sort of format playing through. So one um, round? 
Yeah, I, look, I can't confirm on that. I'm not actually sure if that's been, yeah, I'm not actually Upsized. sure on that whether or not that's a definitive at this point in time. But mm-hmm. my understanding from conversations so far with just Western Force and things is that season will run pretty similar to what it did this year, time phrase wise. And then obviously we'll have um, Pacific Four and the World XV again next year. So similar sort of test calendar. Yeah. And that, that kicks off uh, 21st of October in New Zealand for you guys. Correct. First game against England. Yeah. So obviously looking forward to that one. Yeah, that'll be really good. I think it'll be a um a big challenge for us and a big a really big series. Um, some quality 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 teams to come up against, but I think perfect opportunity for us to play again like some rugby against some of the best teams in the world. Continue to grow and the opportunity to be locked into that tier one for this year and next year leading into the World Cup. I think. We'd be stupid if we said we wanted to be anywhere else because that's sort of, I think, the way that we're going to get the best we can and put our best foot forward moving into 2025. Does it add to your frustration when you play a team like England knowing knowing the setup that they've got versus that's what you'd like versus what you've got? Um, I think at the time, not so much a frustration. I think we've taken on that sort of... Um, you, you, I think a lot of the girls or a lot of the people in the squad like to take on that sort of Aussie battle mentality. So yeah, okay. we, we like to go out there and... <laughs> And I think we showed that in the in the uh, World Cup last year when we came up against England and competed really well against yeah. them. But majority of the game, I'd say, um, obviously areas for improvement there, and not the result that we wanted. But I think we don't. We try not to when we get to games like that. Take it away from ourselves and say that we can't compete or we can't do as well yeah. because of that. We like to sort of think, well, if we can do this now, imagine what we can do yeah. when we go full time and when we go professional and when we have the training and the coaching and the time allocated to our rugby is, is what some of those other programs do. Yeah. And then before we let you go, on a, on a personal note, you finished your studies, two degrees and a post-grad. Finished studies. Thank you, thank you. A couple of days of placement left, so still a little bit of work, but assessment-wise, all done, um, which is really exciting. Um, might be able to get a job now when I finish playing footy, which is good. Um, <laughs> nah, but, yeah, no, thank you. That's fantastic. Well, look, thanks, Michaela. It's always great to talk to you. Hopefully, Rugby Australia can sort itself out because we need people like you in the game. You know, you're a fantastic role model. You know, you could be the Sam Kerr of rugby. So enjoy the sun <laughs> and, and good luck for that Women's 15 in October. Cheers, guys. Thanks heaps. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. So that was Michaela Leonard, uh, Wallaroo and Western Force player. And I mean, she said it's not frustrating, but geez, I reckon it'd be frustrating when they go uh, and play against those teams that have got everything that they would love to have. Well, yeah. Be, and like you just, like, I know you're not going to make a lot of money out of investing in the women's rugby, but you've got to put something into it. And when it must be <laughs> like watching the Australia A game play against Portugal in Paris, you go going, hang on, you just drop a couple of hundred grand there, yeah. guys. All we want is a full-time coach. Come on. <laughs> Eddie can bring in Steve Hansen as a consultant. We just want one one, one person light. that can just look after us year-round. Yeah. Like, that, stop doing part-time. If you put part-time effort in, you're going to get part-time stuff in return. So I think you've got a, a player base there that want to improve, that want to excel, they want to be – professional in the way they act and they behave and they prepare they just mm. need a professional organization to back them up yep i think yep. And, and the longer they waste time like without starting the process like the further and further the afl like the wfl the nrlw are going to get yeah. ahead of us Absolutely. as well like yeah on the weekend newcastle played the sharks in the um nrlw and they had 20,000 people at Newcastle out there watching wow. the game. Like, it was just it was yeah. a great atmosphere. The stadium was buzzing. Yeah. Like, everything was on. And, you know, that's now. And so we're still years away from that, like being able to get to that level. So we need to start, well, we're, you know, we need to start now. I was going to say sooner rather than later, but it's already later. Now, so we need yeah. to just, we need to get yeah. the ball rolling. And because they weren't making money out of their women's program the league is at the start or the nrl that wasn't no, a cash no. cow for them and no, it's probably still no not a cash cow no, no so no one makes money out of that so i don't think they can use it uh, and again look i understand as daniel herbert said the other week that if they don't have the money well that, where can they get money from if they don't have it so hmm. i don't know what the answer is but if they do this i don't know if they do this private equity or whether there's going to be a, a rush on now because the matildas with companies wanting to invest in women's sport which would be fantastic but but we've got to, this these guys they've got to get a profile and it is that catch-22 where if they're coming up and they're getting builded by new zealand they're getting builded by england you know no one's really going to get on board it's, hmm. it's when they start winning that 
the, the punters, as we saw with the Matildas, that's where it just drags people in that are going to now yep. take an interest in them. So they've got to put that investment in to improve the performance of the team, which will then improve the support that the team's going to get. But yep. you know, I, I know they've got to get money from well, somewhere. Yeah, and it's going to be a really competitive environment going forward, Mickey. Like you've got Olympics and all that sort of stuff around the corner. Yeah. You've got Hockey Roos. You've got the netball um, with the Diamonds being world champions now. Like you've got our swimmers. You've got water polo players and our water polo team. Like there is just mm. – there is a lot of good athletes out there and there's a lot of good uh, teams and individual representing Australia. We just had the recent success at the – at the athletics, Nina Kennedy. Yeah, Nina Kennedy. At the world champs, you know. Yeah. So, good. like, there's so many good news stories all around the world at the moment. And if rugby stays asleep at the wheel, they're going to get mm-hmm. left behind. And these fantastic athletes are going to find other things yeah. to do. And it's funny, even you talk about the Diamonds, um, you know, world champions, the Commonwealth Games, and they're, and they're broke. They've got no money. So it's yeah. kind of, it's, uh, you know, it's tough. It's tough for these for these athletes. And, and again, you know, water polo players don't get any money either. So no. I, I think, I think the issue comes when you're playing a code that has a men's team that has so many resources punched into the men. And he's mentioned Portugal, the Australia A flies to Portugal just purely. So Eddie had some more support for the Wallabies. Mm. So when they're in that, in that environment where they see so much money being diverted to the men's component of the same game that they're playing, I think that's where that inequality, that, that letter that's probably where it all stemmed from. Yeah. So you could just about run a whole women's rugby program on Joseph Sawali's salary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you can imagine their frustration. We can't have a coach, but they've just bought a yeah some kid that's never played rugby for five million bucks. So yeah, let's hope it gets sorted out because they're look as I mentioned they're great role models and um, they're very committed as Millie Boyle said and it'd be fantastic if we can keep in rugby and uh, and have the Wallaroos attracting crowds like the Matildas did when they have their Home World Cup in 2029. But then elsewhere, lots of grand finals, plenty of rugby news. So we'll start in WRE, the semi-final. UW going down to West Scarborough 23-20. UWA leading for most of the match, but um, I believe it was only in the last couple of minutes that, that West scored to uh, to end university season. Jeremy Thrush on the bench. I don't know, Tess, if he, if he got on, but great to see the he great get man. on. Yep. Got on, did he? No, he absolutely, he yeah, he absolutely put himself in. Please, yeah, they, they had a stacked second grade side, Wes, and they just got just got it over the line in second grade. And then big thrushy Walter Koteka was the other one that coming off the bench late in the game and and saw the team home. So, uh, yeah, Uni took the gas in the last ten or fifteen minutes, and uh, West rolled over the top of them. I think Uni were up twenty points to seven or twenty points. Yeah, to I think five it was there at half one stage. time. I think it was twenty to seven and or something like that. Twenty-three yeah. points to twenty final score and uh, West coming home with a wet sail. Wow. So West in well, second and first grade next week. I believe so. Jeez. And because Pally second Pally. grade hadn't lost a game all year and lost yeah. the semi-final in their second grade. So Ooh, who'd they lose to? Uh, Cot. Cot. Cot beat them. Ooh, the Seagulls. Found, yeah, oh, yeah. They didn't drop a few blokes, did they? Peter the Grant was Peter no. Grant was play, or Peter Grant had played third grade and then went on to second grade and Peter Kimlin <laughs> played was playing second grade as well so it's not a yeah, bad right. not a bad team and then in the other semi final Pally just too strong uh, for Soaks thirty seven seven and uh, Soaks never in a test were they Pally just no I mean they, they were they were competitive but it was just that match where Palmyra they were always. They were tested, but they were still in control, and they just never looked like mm. losing. They just, yeah, you know, the big the big pally machine just kept on grinding, and they just kept, they just they just, they sprint away. They just go in these little bursts where yeah. all of a sudden they score fifteen points, and then you know nothing much happens for the next twenty minutes, and then they put another fourteen points on or another twelve points on, and they just keep bounding, piling them up so rapidly. So I uh, just yeah got away. Pretty quickly from associates, especially at the beginning of that second half. After going into halftime, fifteen nil down, I think it was. They came out and mm. scored first, but it was just yeah. Then it was all they went into overdrive. Palmyra and one of the highlights, Pearson Kennington on at the end with no socks. Yeah, yeah Pearson Kennington. It's something that I mean, I think any player, but especially a front rower more than anyone else. Like once you come off the gears, they just seize up pretty quickly. So you. Start thinking about next week. That guy out there, he's got the job to do. He'll finish the job. And Pearson Kennington had taken the boots off. He was getting ready. He'd probably had ice packs on every joint. A cold beer in his hand, maybe. <laughs> but definitely wouldn't have been a cold pie. Would have been a hot pie. Wouldn't have had a chance to get cold. But um, 
Yeah, unfortunately, one of the the props, Barmay Malesu, he went down. He got a bit of a knock, a bit of blood. So Pearson had to scramble to get the uh, to get the scrummaging boots back on, and didn't have time to put the socks on with them. So he just <laughs> ran out there. He said he wasn't too concerned. There was only two minutes left. He wasn't too worried about blisters. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I would have recommended doing it for much longer than that. Yeah, so the big grand final this week uh, at Tompkins Park. It's one v two Palmyra up against West Scarborough, and I think it's a later. I think it's a four o'clock kickoff, so slightly later than normal. And then everywhere else it was grand final central. So in Victoria, in the Velo Duar Shield, Harlequins they went back to back, defeating Endeavour Hills thirty nine twenty six. And then Mitch Hardy with a man on the sideline in the ACT. Yeah, down in Canberra on the weekend, Mickey watching the Gungahlin Eagles go around. Against the much fancy Tuggeranong Vikings, it was a massive afternoon. Um, the, there was a terrific curtain raiser talking about women's rugby. The the owls, the North Uni owls, got up over Tuggeranong Vikings in the in the women's grand final, which is the game before the premier grade, and it was an absolute cracker. It was really high class end to end rugby, and it went right down to the wire with the owls scoring at the death to to take the grand final. So real thriller there. And then the Eagles. It's been twenty years between drinks. Uh, down there at the nest, and they got over the line, 33 points to 26, and what was a pretty big win for them. And um, yeah, lots of celebration. There was a lot of love back at the clubhouse, a lot of a uh, lot of hugs from a lot of old boys with uh, the young blokes there. And uh, yeah, the young fella gets the chocolates down there too. So it was lovely to see him win a, a grand final after the disappointment last year, losing one with UWA. So in Garland Eagles, the uh, yeah, and Jerome Brown was a, an immense. Immense uh, effort from him on Saturday at the grand final. He got a double, and there was a young fullback there, Isaac Crow, that got player of the match, the uh, the young fullback there. But um, it was a really good crowd. Nothing better than a pitch invasion on full time when uh, the final yeah. whistle blows. There was, it was all, it was bedlam. And uh, yeah, the club song was uh, awesome to. to and- be able to watch that, the club song for the Eagles. And Jeff Barnes, he won a couple of premierships with Associates. Uh, you saw him over there. Was he a former Eagles, was he? Was he a former he was a, yeah, was Or does he have his nose in the corporate trough over there? No, no, he was a former Eagle. There was um, yeah, it's a bit of a who's who of Eagles there. Marco Caputo was a former Eagle. He's obviously overseas at the moment. So uh, there's a big, long list of uh, Brumby players that have donned the uh, the former Darum. The Eagles used to be called Darum Marlin, so now they're called Gungarlin. Oh, yeah. So there's a there's a list of who's who there, and uh, Rod Kafer's young fellow was coming off the bench, Ben Kafer, for the team as well. Yep. Um, what about the yeah. and the old boy? What about Matty Hawk, the old boy as well? Has he been there? For yeah, a... Matty Hawk. It's been 19 years. He's been playing first grade down that there. Club. 19 oh, years. Really? And and um, the only reason he was well, he he's been in and out of first grade all year, and he's a bit of a stalwart there, and they all love him down there. But with Corey O'Toole being sucked up into Australia A, that opened the opportunity up for Hawkey to get his start in the granny and he came off the wing of all positions. He's usually a big strapping inside centre and Lockie McCaffrey, the coach, picked him on the wing and, um, yeah, he got his first premiership in 19 years. So, needless to say, he was a very happy camper on Saturday night and the the premiership trophy wasn't (laughs) leaving his grasp at any moment in time. I can imagine. And then you talk about pitch invasions. Heath Tessman up at Ballymore. Oh, that was chaos. Oh, it was absolutely yeah, absolute anarchy up at Ballymore, but um, and with West giving up a big first half lead, they went into the sheds. I think nineteen five up over Brothers at half time, uh, and then the Brothers team just clawed it all the way back to take the victory twenty six twenty four in on a controversial circumstances yeah. there towards Cause, the end. Because talk me through. I watched that. I watched the back end of that. What do you reckon happened with that? rolling mall that went from about 30 metres oh, out. Oh, it was, it, was, it was dramatic. I mean, for starters, brothers taking the mall option instead of trying to have a shot with the penalty surprised me a little bit. But then they had their mall. They were t- just 20 metres out. They set it up. They marched it all the way to within a metre of the line before it went down to the ground. Uh, a couple of blue and white jerseys spotted on the ground with their hands above their heads like they'd just been caught with their... With the fingers in the uh, in the cookie jar, like yeah, it wasn't me, sir. It wasn't me, sir. <laughs> um, but anyway, the referee agreed with them, and then they oh, West went for a pick and drive just to try and ice it to get the points to win it, and they ran into someone who was getting up off the ground, and they managed to get held up. So it was all, and then there was about sixty seconds. It felt like it felt like a long period of time after that had happened when the referee was trying to figure out 
what the cause is the game over all the players no one knew what was happening before he awarded it <laughs> to brothers so it was a uh, it was a big celebration there with the 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 hill the hill was down at the far end down there at Ballymore and it was great to see the grand final be played back at Ballymore as well and the mm. brothers fans the fans from the uh, from Crosby Park flooded on and celebrated with their men yeah that was a great result and then Mitch in in Sydney there was uh, another drought broken yeah, Randwick, first time in uh, some 19, 20 years as well. Stephen Hoyle's the uh, another one to go into the, the books there. Uh, another coach and captain and player who win premierships at Randwick, mate. So uh, the Wicks and Norse could have won that one. They they had their chances towards the end. The, the poor number 10 there had a pretty off day with a boot. He had a, a kick to win it. Um, with about four minutes to go on the clock and uh, pushed it off to the side. And, you know, it was a pretty un, unhappy game or, or, or in general for Norse. They were a bit scrappy. They, they hang in there, they hung in there. But Ramwick, they've been on a roll for the last few weeks, seven in a row, I think I read, wow. that they'd won leading into the grand final and um, they were just just too good on the day for, for poor old Norse. But, yeah, so the, the Galloping Greens back to their best after a long drought in the Premiership Stakes. And uh, it was a it was a good – it looked like there was a good crowd at Leichhardt Oval as well, good contingent of Ramwick and Norse supporters and uh, a good venue to uh, host the end of the club season for Sydney. Yeah, so Club Rugby wrapping up on the East Coast and then in some international fixtures over the weekend, lots of them and a couple of surprises – Firstly, South Africa inflicting New Zealand's heaviest defeat in their history, winning 38 points to seven. They the All Blacks played the entire second half with only 14 players after Scott Barrett received a second yellow card, which was a red card. And uh, But the Bockies just, wow, just intense, dominated the set piece. They were, and just, just carved it up. They were just from one to 15, uh, you know, the, what's up? I forgot the guy's name on the wing. Um the little bloke. The little bloke. Yeah, I don't know. I, oh, yeah, I don't mental know. block. How can I do that? Yeah. Heath, help me out here, bud. <laughs> it's um, contagious. Oh, I've forgotten him. <laughs> oh, terrible. Terrible. There'd be South African supporters just going ballistic at the moment when they listen to this. But no, the, the Saffers were really dominant. Um, I think the, the cards really took the sting out of the, the Kiwi tail, I thought. And then they were just on the back foot. And I just, you know, Sam Kane, great player, all that sort of stuff. But it just came appeared to me in that game that the New Zealand back row in particular were a little bit out of balance. Um, and, you know, I think that they just got caught on the back foot and South Africa just built momentum and just their, their sheer physicality, size and their ability to execute and get points on a regular basis is is showing some really ominous signs that they, they're going to be a real threat going to this World Cup, Nicky. So was they it become- Kurt Lee Arunze or was it... Um- no, Mapimpi, no, the little bloke with the headgear. Is that Arenzi? Is that Arenzi? Ar- 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 no, yeah. They're the two starting wingers from the game on the weekend. Oh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's that, that little bloke, Arenzi. Yeah, you guys anyway. keep talking about the next one. I'll come so, back to you. So, are the are the Bockies, are they the, you know, after the weekend, are they the new favourites? No. Oh. I think I think they're going to have. They've probably got the deepest squad, but whether or not they have the best of the top line talent, I think, and that yeah, okay. I think. But I think the depth of their squad will be something which will take them very, very deep into the competition. Yep. I mean, they picked it, and they picked they picked a seven-one bench on yeah. the weekend <laughs> yeah. as well. Like just yeah. took one one known back onto the bench as well. Like so, I mean, just how that tells you how they're going to play the game and and how how important they feel like they're forwards players, but also how dominant they feel like they can be with that by being able to bring fresh guys out. Like Quagga, Quagga Smith was the only kind of slashy that they had on the bench that was going to be slashing, covering in, anywhere else outside 12, probably yep. uh, using a bit of his sevens prowess, but they just had that confidence that they are just going to, and it, it tells how they are going to play. They're just going to come at you. They're going to bully every team they can. Yeah. They're going to look to play just power fashion. size rugby, and as soon as one of those guys out there gets tired, sweet, we'll bring just pick him off and we'll bring, yeah. <laughs> we'll bring another black on who. And I mean, with the, some of the, especially some of the tight five fours they have in their squad, like guys that they've left home are going to be, would walk into just yeah. about any other World Cups squad. So it's going to take them, it's going to take them very deep. And, you know, I'm not going to get, not going to get too much straight onto the hype train. Like there's a lot, lot can happen in the World Cup, but mm. they'll be in that, they'll be in the semi finals, I'll say. 
Yeah, okay. Well, what about... <laughs> That's if they... you seen how congested that side of the drawer is? It's like... Like all the top teams are on that side of the draw. Side, they all yeah. end up on that side of the draw, but then they all end up with see who makes it out of pool C. They'll end up playing like the top person. So it's one of those like their pool, it can be better to come second, can't it? Because yeah. then you get an actual, you get an easy run through. Yeah. They'll be, I mean, they'll be playing the Wallabies if we manage to make it out of our pool. Yeah. Well, will we now? So Fiji defeating England for the oh, first how good time. Was that? In that was 50. a cracking game, Mickey. 30 to 22 uh, at Twickenham, not at Suba, at Twickenham. <laughs> And the wall and the feet. It was still raining though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was um that was I couldn't believe when I heard that. So Fiji, oh. all of a sudden, I think that like we were thinking that in the Wallabies pool, Australia Wales will get through. But you know now Fiji, we think well, we've actually got three. There's three teams in that Australian pool that um, only two spots. Who's Fiji's the high. The, Fiji's the Fiji's highest ranked us. team in yeah. that pool because they're yep. we're we're ninth now and Fiji are, yep. are eighth that I saw. That was an outstanding win by them. And I tell you what, their, com- their centre combination com- combining with their back row, I mean, we're talking about physicality of the spring box. Those blokes are absolute machines. Mm. Like, And they've just got the firepower right across the team now. But the big, th- the big thing about the Fijian game that's changed over recent times is their set piece. Their ability to execute their set piece and play it a bit more of a structure now is, mm. has really made a big difference to them. And just having that experience of Frank Lamani at uh, number nine there as well was a big plus for them. There's one question, Tess, one question for you. Is, is a lot of that structure, which is something we did speak about last year, a lot of those guys play for the drawer. How much has that helped them in terms of playing that more international style rugby with that structure? Yeah, I think I think it's helped, but I think as well the balance is, like they've got that structure, so it's not just the structure, but it's then it's spending time together as well. But then being able to then, you've got this core group of guys who all know each other and play well together, but then you're able to sprinkle in um, the rest of the players that play in the Northern Hemisphere and play throughout France and in the competitions up there that then can like draw on their experience that they've had playing in the set piece in, in the top 14 in the premiership as well. And that can then draw that level up and it just kind of brings that little bit of maturity to, to the squad then as well. Like you've got, so you've got that core group that is playing together in this super exciting rugby that they are playing down here in super. But then, yeah, I think it just complements really well having some more experienced and probably hardened campaigners playing in some of those um, uh, more arduous provincial competitions in the Northern Hemisphere. Hmm. And then that takes us on to the other game that was played on the weekend, the Wallabies up against France and France 41 points to 17. So Australia, none from five heading into a World Cup, should we be concerned or has Eddie got it all under control? Oh, well, I mean, we, I think we've, we should, we've been concerned for quite a, a period of time now, haven't we? Like, there's obviously, there's got to be worry. There's got to be I concerns. I think we concerned. <laughs> yeah. Because Eddie, Eddie's come out saying, no, it's all fine. Well, he's he's Eddie's not going to come out and, be smashing the fire no. alarm and pulling. That's true. That's true. <laughs> pulling on the embra- in case of emergency break glass. Mate, we just uh, need to. It's all about. He's a coach, mate. He's got to keep it positive. Yeah, well, he's doing that. Of course. And so, what do you but think? Then, like, what do you think of that game? Well, Mickey, I think the back row really struggled on the weekend. I thought there was a, a lot of holes in the midfield. Uh, that centre combination really got exposed against those two bigger bodies that the French boys had. And then there were some soft tries out wide. I mean, the, the little kicks over the, the top was just French arrogance, if nothing else. Yeah, well. <laughs> and, you know, again, we were exposed down those flanks and we really missed Marika Corabetti um, out wide. And even though Celesi Bunavalu had a, a lot better game than what we've seen from him so far, there was enough to worry about that that back line's got a lot of work to do. Mm. And again, discipline up front as well, just not having the discipline to really compete um, for the full 80 minutes. And poor Carter Gordon, felt, felt a bit sorry for him. He had a really bad day with the boot. But not having a sec- second kicking option in that back line as well just doesn't help things. So we, we, we seem to be a little bit out of balance at the moment. And, you know, you bring guys like Matt Phillip off the bench. What's he going to What's he going to give you off the bench? Nothing. Nothing. And you talk about oh, it's a couple of things there. So with with the kicking, so I think he, I think he, what he had left eleven points or something behind. Oh something. yeah, maybe more. Yeah, maybe, maybe more than that. Um, so you, you, I don't think a team's ever won a World Cup without a, a kicker. 
and no, and yeah. and so what what do we do? Because do you who who can kick? Do you start Nick well, White? Does Nick White have to start because he can kick? Well, maybe because you look at the little French bloke that came off the bench, the number twenty three that kicked the fifty two meter goal, yeah, right at the death. He's their second string kicker. Yeah, pretty handy. You know, like, and you're playing in European conditions as well. Like, it was a pretty wet weekend and right across France. All the games were in wet weather. Um, the goal kicker is absolutely mm. crucial. And, and I think Carter Gordon's good enough, but maybe he just hasn't had enough to adapt to the conditions that he's kicking in at the moment and he's just lacking a little bit of timing. So hopefully a couple more weeks over there will we'll fix things for him. But we need a plan B. If th- if he's, he's if he's having an off day with a boot, we have to have someone in the lineup that we can call to that's equally as good. And they used to have that with, I suppose, Reese Hodge or Quake Cooper or James O'Connor in the team. Mm. We had a second string kicker that you knew was, you know, international level. We just don't have that with that back line that rolled out on the weekend. Is it, sorry, correct my memory as well. Does Carter Gordon kick for the Rebels or is it Reese Hodge? Well, they share it. Yeah, they share it out. I mean, and, the, and the concern as well for a young guy like Carter Gordon is that that ekes into other aspects of his kicking as well. Like his games so far, like he's still finding himself as an international 10. Mm. And his kicking game's been pretty inconsistent just in general play too. And so that can like it can be a, a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy then that like, oh, if I'm kicking poorly here, then that ekes into other parts of his game. And and that kicking game as well is going to be so important too, because Tay McDermott's not a um not not quite the same like accuracy kicker as what Nick White has. And then when we go to our centers too, like we've got two centers who aren't noted kickers. Back three, Kellaway is really the only kicker in that back three, though, as well. Uh, so, like you know, there's a lot of lot of pressure that's going to be put onto Carter Gordon to you know to keep the ball in front of his pack and keep us playing in the right side of the field um, by using his boot. And you know that extra pressure could could you know just be a little bit too much. I'm hoping I'm wrong, but mm. that, you know this is how it can start to slip away a little bit quickly before you know it. Mm. And Mitch, you mentioned uh, Vunavalu. Some of the press was saying that he was sublime, that he was oh, the, stop. that he that he was the standout. Did yeah. you write that, Mick? No, I did not. I thought I don't know who wrote that. I mean, he He's had the best game he's had so far. Which does, you know, coming from a pretty low base, yeah. he's no yeah, Marika no. Corabetti. And like well, at the end of the day, they still scored two. They still scored two two tries down his wing. Yeah. You know, yeah. one of them, he was well out of position, and the other one, well, you know, he gave gave away that yellow card as well, mind you. Yeah. So, yeah, no, calm down, calm down, lads. No, they were very. So, so, will he start? That's my question. Well, I think he. Well, if you if you no, take on form, Marky Mark could be the one that could be under pressure, but also at fifteen, Kellaway's probably under a little bit of pressure as well. But but the the more worrying signs for me is in the midfield. I don't understand why you wouldn't have given Parisi a, a good run around um last night. I would have given I say Parisi a lot more minutes on the field than what he got. Um, and there was a couple of glaring sort of defensive lapses by Fichetti and Batay. I don't think they're combining well at all as a centre pairing. So yeah, I've got a few concerns there in the backs, Mickey. As, as we talk about some of those guys in the back line as well, though, Mitchie, like, you know, say Kellaway, who who do we bring in instead yeah. of Kellaway? Who do we bring in instead of Marky Mark? Mm. You know, well, like, you got uh, is Mark, is, you got Donaldson Jorgensen, Jorgensen who hasn't played for, yeah, Jorgensen who hasn't played for, what, two months now? Mm. Yeah. Donaldson who played less than Jorgensen this year and mm-hmm. not, yeah, not no. as a fullback. Well, yeah. Like, you pick him, you got to wear him. So. Yeah. And, and the he's forwards... picked his trousers. He's got to wear his trousers. <laughs> they might have to be brown. And the forwards, forwards, Tess, how how'd you like them? Good to see Tupo and Angus Bell back out there. Good to see you get them. Good, yeah, get through some good minutes as well. I think like that. I mean, that front row, I think, will just about pick itself for the tournament. And, uh, the way that uh, Eddie, he'll just end up managing James Slipper in and out with the other two blokes, like having the versatility of, of Slips on the bench and his experience and then being able to, you know, slot him in to start when, Tupo or or Bell are feeling a little bit tired or a little bit banged up, so we'll be able to keep them fresh. So, you know, we're okay there. But I think the the struggle for us is then when we come to set piece, like having having that back row with McWright doesn't jump, Valentini hardly jumps, Hooper does jump, but then with Skelton, obviously a Skelton captain, yeah. he's going to be out there a lot. So they need to be able to have like more options through their back row as jumpers. 
And, you know, it's it's just going to be – I think it's going to be tough the deeper we go into the tournament, or hopefully the deeper we go into the tournament when teams start tightening up on us and picking us apart. Because, you know, really, realistically, that's Arnold and Hooper, the only two jumpers in that in that, um, in that mm. forward pack. And the French team were able to really put a whole lot of pressure on us and, and squeeze that pressure on us even more and more as the game went on. Mm. So I think we're going to have to – we we need to. That's where the argument for – I don't know whether it's if they want to play like so Fraser McWright, he's going well. Is he someone that we look to maybe bring off the bench and we can have someone like another bigger body that can start the game? Um, obviously, Skelton's going to be playing big minutes. They're going to look to get as much out of him every match. Hmm. Um, but it's it's a it's a bit of a tight spot. And even then, like you touched on, like is Matty, you know, say Matty Phillip on the bench, is he someone that's going to come on and change the game or like what's you know he's he's going to go out there if he starts he's going to do a good job and he's going to set a platform but is he going to come on late and bust the tackle open and make a run mm. or something like that so that that's the it's I mean look it's the squad we've picked that we've got to go with and Eddie's going to try and get the best out of him he can but just how he balances out these um these forward packs and 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 for, you know for the set piece as well as the attacking and defensive side of the ball is it's going to be pretty tough the longer this competition this tournament mm. goes on. I like that little bit of variation off that French line-out that led to their first try when Australia all thought they were just going to bring it in and drive and they just pushed that little bit wide. Very crisp, very nice. I liked it. Yeah, You you wouldn't have liked it, Heath Tessman, because it was too flashy. <laughs> no, no, no. It was a missed opportunity. Yeah. Missed a bit of French flair. A bit of <laughs> exactly. French flair. You've got to love it. But it's, Bring the yeah. crowds back. But like, it's all about momentum, in my view, going to this World Cup, Mick. And like we um, didn't mention it before, but the Ireland-Samoa game was the other cracking game over the weekend. Like Samoa had a five-metre line out with one minute to go, and they fuffed it. Um, they could have upset Ireland on the weekend. Oh. Really? Samoa and okay. Lima Sapawanga had an outstanding game, and the Samoans were up and about like they took it to the Irish, and I, the Irish had nowhere to go. Like they were so lucky to win that game. So, wow. yeah. So we're talking about momentum going into these first first round in two weeks' time. Yeah, you know, the Pacific, the Pacific Islands, and those guys are up and about. They've got their their tails up, and we all know when. When the Pacific Island teams got their tails up, they're a hard team to yeah, beat, and they get it. physical. Physical. South Africa's got momentum. The French have got momentum. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things go round one. But geez, it's going to be it, the the tournament's wide open. I mean, yeah. the draw is a little bit weird for how it's all structured up. But who cares? Every night there's going to be something fantastic yeah, happening. Right. Yeah, um, all the different countries. Yeah. And you talked about the uh, Australia A Portugal uh, Australia they were down. 14-12 at half time, 17 all midway through the half, but ended up winning 30 points to 17. So I'm not sure what Eddie is going to take out of any of that. Should have just given the money to the women. But it's, uh, <laughs> what do you yeah. do? Anyway, what do you do? Oh. Well, there was a good little article on Noel Alessio the other day too, I noticed. You know, he's sitting over there with uh, playing for Toulon or Toulouse or one of those ones. And, yep. um, yeah, it be interesting to see how that unfolds because you know, rumour is that he's not a happy camper and, yeah, might, okay. Might, might stay over there. May not come wow. back. And that takes us to mailbag just very quickly. Um, not much in it because we've covered most of it. The force over in Bloemfontein. They lost to the Cheetahs 31 points to 17. So there's one more game over there. And oh, that was an average game, Mickey. I watched that. That no was good? terrible. Oh. Anyone Ruin stand P- out? Ruin Pienaar is as old as me. He was playing <laughs> 5-8 for him. Oh, really? He's, he's got as much hair as me and Heath. <laughs> Right. And yeah, nah, that was, yeah, it wasn't good rugby, that one. Yeah. Okay. There was a bloke, uh, there, I think there was a bloke that came on, which is, uh, who is older than Heath, came on for the cheaters off the bench. <laughs> I heard Max Beery went okay. Yeah, he was a bit off of the boot. He kicked a couple of, kicked a couple of balls dead off penalties that should have gone out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, probably didn't have the happiest days with the kick, but you got the high altitude there. So it's sometimes a bit hard to adjust. Yeah. Um, who was your, yeah, who was your pick of our Potter, boys? Harry, Harry Potter, Potter was good. Yeah, he was good. He, he did some good stuff. He scored a nice try and, and set a couple of things up there. He was quite good. I don't understand playing Jeremy Williams at eight. That was a bit perplexing. Hmm. Um, I would have just stick stick to his core core yeah, game. Especially after there's, he had such some, a good year in, in yeah. blocking. It's weird. Yeah. Um, and I noticed there was a couple of new signings announced during the week with Madrano coming back and um, an All Blacks fella. Yeah, as well. so R2 Molly. 
He's from the Chiefs. He's played five yeah. five caps for the All Blacks, and he can play tight head yeah. and loose head prop. So, but I think from course. memory, Mickey, I think every one of the cheaters' tries were driving malls. Really, he tested really exciting, right? Oh, really exciting. Green, green just right comes back to watch. That. I think it was four. I think it was four or five. Four or five rolling malls. Oh, watch, like watching West beat Pally this weekend in the right. grand. <laughs> so, getting to that before we do wrap it up, is that your tip for the grand final? Oh, yeah. Balls all the way, mate. Balls all the way. No oh, way in the world I'm going up. for the palms. No, I'm not going for the palms. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. So, look, that'll do us. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, Thanks, Tess. mate. Nice to see you guys. Yeah, it was good. And it was good to catch up with Nicola too. And just a reminder, yep. the Rugby WA Grand Final She's this weekend, I believe it's 4 p.m. Hey, Tessman is going to try and... Um, Hopefully Rugby what... WA let you blokes know what time it's on. Yeah, I just thought that <laughs> I'd be explore it. We'll get, the, we'll, get the t- we'll get the team listed about 2 o'clock on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, so it's either 3.30 or 4 anyway. So probably better to get the early the women's that have got the, the curtain raiser. So Tickets um, are available as well on the uh, Rugby WA page. Well, there you go. Perfect. So pally up against West. So make sure you get down to Tompkins Park where you can watch that on Stan Sports. So thanks for everyone for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on the Rugby Wrap.